Welcome to the Popcorn Talk Network. For the online broadcast network that features movie discussion, news, and interviews, press one. Popcorn Talk. We talk movies. From the Popcorn Talk Network, the online broadcast network for movie talk, Alicia Malone with Scott Movie Mance and the Schmoes Know, this is Profile. In-depth spotlights on the greatest filmmakers and artists in motion picture history. Hello, Profilers. Boy, have we got a great show for you today. Tell you this could easily, we always say that. (laughs) Because it's always true. It is always true. (laughs) Episode 47, our best yet. We always say that too. But really, don't you think this could have been like a three-hour version of Profiles? Oh, yeah. We're talking about Sidney Lumet. Now, he's someone that we've taken 47 episodes to get to. We have spoken about many of his movies throughout Profiles in relation to other people but i I think it it's quite telling that it's taken us this long to get to him because of the fact that he's not a flashy filmmaker he is someone that lets the actors shine oh yeah he's someone who's so masterful at uh, tone and pacing and editing that you almost don't even notice his work he's not a he's not a filmmaker that has all these flourishes he just tells a great story and that's what's great about him you don't see the flashy hyperconnect you know, camera techniques. He's not trying to impress anybody. He does not use a lot of music in his films. In fact, some of them that we're going to be talking about today, he doesn't use music at all. Mm. He's great at just letting the actors do their thing, about about letting them flourish with, with great monologues, about yeah. getting into big verbal disputes. Yes. Over 50 films between <laughs> his directorial debut, a feature directorial debut, he directed a lot of TV before that, in 1957 with 12 Angry Men, to his final film, ironically titled Before the Devil Knows You're Dead in 2007, averaging one movie a year. Very prolific. And I thought about it, too, is that when you look at the number of masterpiece films that he's done, we could have a whole other Fast Five list in addition to the one that we're doing today. Oh, yeah. And there are probably more masterpiece movies than those by peers like Spielberg, Coppola, uh, Scorsese even. Mm-hmm. I mean, so many films that, like, when we were coming up with our Fast Five, well, what about this? What about this? No, what about this? Exactly. <laughs> what about this order? But it's just so great because he is uh, really is just one of the great American filmmakers. Yep. And following our last episode, which is on Robert Altman, which was such a pleasure to do that, an episode like that, where people came back to us and they're like, I never saw one of his movies, but I'm going to now. Yes. How awesome is that, that people watch movies because of hearing us talk about it? I love it. I, I love, love it, it so too. much. And Sidney Lumet, I mean, he's someone who works with pretty much all the incredible actors throughout his time. Actors really enjoyed working with him. People like Paul Newman, Hmm. Al Pacino, Sean Connery, Henry Fonda, and he was known for his social and political movies, you know, and it's amazing that he made Serpico, Dog Day Afternoon, and Network pretty much in a row, one after another. Three incredible movies. I also love that when he was given his honorary Oscar, in his speech he said, I'd like to thank the movies. I know that sounds general, but it's very real to me. I've got the best job in the world, the best profession in the world, and I just want to thank all of it. 
He was a hashtag film geek. And he is definitely a profile for life. Yay! <laughs> but he's also, if you've never read his book, Making Movies, that I is actually. definitely a must-read. It oh, came out about 10 years that. ago, and it reads very, very fast. It's not like one of those big 800-page books. It reads very, very brisk. And he said of his career, while the goal of movies is to entertain, the kind of film in which I believe in goes one step further. It compels the spectator to examine one's facet or another of his own conscience. It stimulates thought and gets the mental juices flowing. So do seek out his book, Making Movies. I will. You will not be sorry. It's a great read. Okay, great read. Great life. Great life. It's time to look it out. It's, it's a, a wonderful, wonderful life. life. Roll, Roll it. it. Sidney Arthur Lumet was born on June 25th, 1924 in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Lumet made his radio debut at age four, his stage debut at age five, and as a child appeared in many Broadway plays. He spent three years in the U.S. Army during World War II, and upon his return, he became involved with the Actors Studio. His career as a director started with off-Broadway productions and then, in the 1950s, turned to television, directing episodes of early TV staples like Danger, You Were There, and The Alcoa Hour. His feature film debut as a director came in 1957 with 12 Angry Men, which won the Golden Bear at the Berlin Film Festival and was nominated for three Academy Awards. That led to a string of instant classics, such as 1962's Long Day's Journey Into Night, 1964's Failsafe, and 1965's The Hill. The 70s proved to be even more fruitful thanks to masterpiece movies like Serpico, Dog Day Afternoon, and Network. Lumet was nominated for five Academy Awards, four of them for Best Director, and he was bestowed with an honorary Oscar in 2005 for his vast body of work. Sidney Lumet died on April 9, 2011, at the age of 86. Wow. wow. What a life. What a career. Yeah. Now, what is your first blood? My first blood. My first blood was actually Network. Okay. And I watched a little bits of that. I think actually it was probably Network and 12 Angry Men at the same time because we watched them in film class. Oh, great. So I was able to do a film class at school. Um, it was something that was offered just in the, the last few years of high school. And I, of course, absolutely loved that class. I wanted to win the prize. <laughs> Didn't get there. Now but you could teach it. <laughs> but yeah, but I was like... Like, I love this. <laughs> and they talked about network and uh, and everything that it related to about the 70s. And then also 12 Angry Men in terms of the filmmaking style being very self-contained. Yeah. So I remember those two distinctly back to back. And then from there, I managed to see Dog Day Afternoon, Surfaco, and many others. What about you? Well, my my earliest memory of a Sidney Lumet film was actually in 75 when my folks... In their infinite wisdom, that took me to see Dog Day Afternoon. I know. I mean, they didn't know. They weren't like, we're going to teach our son about movies. They're like, let's go to the movies. Oh, we don't need a babysitter. Let's just take him with us. He'll That's be fine. That's great. So, I love that. I'm going to do that if I have kids. I'm just going to force just, them just to all the movies. Just go, you know? All the indies. <laughs> you never know the effect you're going to have. Yeah. Because look what happened to me. But exactly. you know what, Leash, seeing that film... I don't remember much about it. Obviously, I remember Attica, Attica, and uh, you probably you wouldn't have known what that was about. I didn't, and I also didn't know. Wait, so he's a man, and he's marrying another man, or you know, the sexuality that he wants. I I didn't understand any of it, so I don't remember much about it. But my first real taste of a Lumet movie. 
I think in one of our past shows, I talked about this teacher I had in high school. He was an English teacher, an English teacher, not a film teacher, Mm -hmm. but he showed us movies all the time. And in two separate classes, he showed us Dr. Strangelove, which is Kubrick. Uh, That's probably where I brought him up. But uh, he also showed us Failsafe. Oh, really? Because both movies came out within a very short period of time. I think Strange Love came out in early 1964, January 64, and then Failsafe came out like later that year. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Strange Love comes out, uh, an accident uh, could plunge the world into a thermonuclear war, and then Failsafe covers a very, very similar subject matter in a very serious way. Yeah. You know, it is not, <laughs> it is not a satire, but it is so, so powerful, especially the last scene. And it scared the hell out of everybody in the class that that could have happened back Back in the early 60s. And of course, in the 80s, you know, Reagan and the USSR, Gorbachev, and that was a big deal uh, that that could still happen. So that's what I remember. That was my first real taste of Lumet. Well, that must have been burnt into your brain. Definitely. And that's what made me seek out his other films, too. Like our number five? Like definitely our, our number five, five. Which is? Frankly, wash our own laundry around here. <laughs> Now, you could be brought up in charges for I this. I always thought so, but the reality you is that we do not wash our own laundry. It just gets dirty. You are well, Serpico. Serpico, released on December 5th, 1973. Cost was $3 million. Total box office, almost $30 million. Two Oscar nominations for Adapted Screenplay and Best Actor Al Pacino. Now, we talked about this before when we did Al Pacino. Yes. But now we get to talk about it from the director's standpoint. Exactly. And uh, this, we did touch base on this before, how they filmed the movie in reverse mm-hmm. so that he could slowly cut his hair and trim his beard. But Lumet's take on this film, I mean, after making his name with 60s films like Failsafe, Long Day's Journey into Night, The Hill, I mean, here's a film, Serpico, which really captured the grittiness of New York City mm-hmm. in 1972, 73. Yeah. I mean, that was a scary place. Police corruption, like crazy. Serpico was a rebel with a cause. Yeah, it was. It's a really gritty, as you said, like real look at police corruption. It captured the energy of New York. And this is what I like about films from the 70s in particular. They seem to capture the mood of the of the decade. And yeah. of course I wasn't there, I wasn't alive and I wasn't in New York definitely, but it it seems to reflect exactly what was going on in real life. Um, of course, this was based on an, a biography of a real New York police officer, yep. Frank Serpico, who went undercover to expose the corrupt police force. Uh, John J. John G. Albertson, who did Rocky, yep. was set to direct, but he was removed after not getting along with the producer. So Lumet came on board just before filming. And what I like about this is what it shows about the character, and the character and Pacino really do shine in yeah. this movie. It shows it's not black and white, it's, it's shades of grey and the character of Serpico is such a great character for someone like Al Pacino to play gave him a real chance to transform definitely did it was really a, uh, the movie that solidified his status as one of the best actors of the 70s because before that the year before that he had The Godfather uh, and of course the year after that he had Godfather 2 yeah. but uh, this was really the film that was a tour de force 
breakthrough performance for Pacino in which the movie was all on him, really. Mm -hmm. And it's a powerful film. It's gripping and it is really uncompromising. Yeah. And not just its depiction of New York and the, and the corruption, but just the, the intensity of the movie just really keeps you on the edge of your seat. Yeah, he gets shot in the face. He gets shot in the friggin' face. <laughs> and it's so disturbing. It he is. gets shot in the face. <laughs> now, the real Frank Serpico was on the set for the first couple of days, but Lumet actually asked him, can you not come back? Back because he was afraid that Pacino and some of the other actors would be so so self aware of their own performances, they would right. be influenced by him. Oh my God, it's really him! So he's like, "Would you mind?" I mean, he was nice about mind it. Just stepping back. <laughs> yeah, it does have a great energy to it. This film, um, lots of some long shots and wide angles where you get to see everyone in the scene and everyone reacting. Like the scene where we played a little bit of it, but when Pacino just goes crazy. Before that, he goes crazy in the police station, yeah. oh, and you're just scene. watching all the other police officers just, just going, like "What is happening?" <laughs> totally. That's so great that that is all done in the wide. Uh, the New York Times in 1973 said about this movie: "It is galvanizing because of Al Pacino's splendid performance <laughs> in the title role, and because of the tremendous intensity that Mr. Lumet brings to this sort of subject. The changes in." Lighting, sound reflects the quality of Detective Serpico's outrage. Well, and who needs the New York Times review from Vincent Candy when you've got one of our profilers? Oh, are you going to say Movie Mance? I was like, yeah, we're here. No, with movie I was Mance. not around. I mean, I was, but I was a little, little kid. I thought you might have done it later. On. Danny Birdsall said about Serpico, it's one of those films I didn't expect much from going in, but I was blown away by how great it was. The subtle ways it foreshadows the corruption of the police force and the near unbreakable will of Frank Serpica are what make this film so amazing. This is one of Pacino's best performances mm-hmm. and Lumet tells such an engaging and gritty story. It hooks you from the first scene and does not let go. Thank you, Danny. Well, you remember that you mentioned the first scene. Um, that means there's lots of great scenes in Lumet's it's my long segue. Um, so we talk about our right stuff, which What's is yours? our favorite scene. I, I know what yours <laughs> is. You already talked about it before we even walked in the door. Yeah, you Wait, know what, what is it is. Go for it. I'm, a ma- I'm as mad Man as, as hell, hell and I'm, I'm not, not going to take it anymore. anymore. Yeah, it's from Network, that great scene, that great speech. Uh, I watched Network last year when I was on a plane and I saw it was available on the little screen. And then I just rewatched it this weekend just because I love it so much. Yeah. It's almost horrifying. And we'll talk about this as we go on with the show, but how real it is, like how prophetic it was. <laughs> And yeah. you listen to that speech, and I think it really sums up the way a lot of people are feeling, you know, that he says, it's not about protests, you know, it, everything's bad, basically. Don't protest, just get mad. It starts with getting mad. And he foreshadowed, like, so many of those, like, you know, train wreck type of, re- like, uh, talk show hosts, like, uh, yeah. remember Morton Downey Jr., and, and, I mean, you know, that goes on and Jerry on. Jerry Springer. Jerry Springer, for sure. Mm-hmm. And this movie was ahead of its time, more relevant now, and and definitely everybody is as mad as hell, and we're not going to take it anymore, so it. we're going to just take care of some business real fast before oh, I give you my... I want to know what yours is. I, well, we'll, we'll get to it in a second, okay. but make sure you please uh, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Yes, please. It's just called Profiles. Just do us a solid subscribe, <laughs> rate, and review us on iTunes, because those reviews really do help us stay, stay you know, 
in the <laughs> iTunes I am relevant. And make sure you follow us on YouTube.com backslash Popcorn Talk Network and share. Please do share our video version of Profiles with all of your film fans. Make sure you go to tpublic.com backslash user yes. Backslash profiles, profiles and get these fancy, very cool profiles T-shirts I that have you can. The Fight Club David Fincher version. That I just have the hashtag Film, film Geek, Geek classic version. Classic version of Profiles T-shirt and make sure you follow us, of course, on Twitter. Here we go, guys. At Alicia Malone, at Movie Mance, at Alicia Malone, at Movie Mance. It's all about the boss. <laughs> Alicia Malone at Movie Mance. So now I'm like so self conscious because I go at Alicia Malone. At Movie yeah, Mance. I just imagine the waveforms going <laughs> or people on headphones going whoa, whoa. Whoa, whoa. And I think I can never actually quit Twitter because you, well, what else would you say? You'd just be like at Movie Mance, at like, Movie Mance, pause, 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 at Movie Mance. <laughs> or I'd just be like, where are you going to follow us? Yeah. <laughs> but my right stuff for, for Single Mance, of course, I mean, Network, I'm Man as Hell. That's like not just iconic. The great scene from one of his films. It's one of the best scenes in movie history. Sure. I mean, every year at the Oscars when they do their montage of all the great movies, they always use that scene mm-hmm. as they should. But that's why I sort of went for something uh, a different. definitely different and impactful. I went for the final scene of Twelve Angry Men yeah. when uh, Lee J. Cobb breaks down. Yeah. It is such a – and he gives in and he sees the light and he goes along with the other jurors and knows that they, they now don't have any doubt. reasonable doubt. Yeah. And uh, anyway, so we'll get to that movie in a minute. Mm, but that's, uh, a good that's actually a great segue into our Fast Five. Number four. four which is – We have nothing to gain or lose by, by our verdict. This is one of the reasons why we are strong. Uh, yeah, 12, 12 Angry, Angry Men. Men, released April 13th, 1957. Sidney Lumet's directorial debut. Amazing cost, that it's a classic and, and it's, it's his the, first film and it's classic. And it's on our list. Yeah. <laughs> his first movie and 50 years after after 50 films, it was still one of his best movies. Oh, yeah. It's still one of the best courtroom dramas of all time. Absolutely. As well as another movie in our Fast Five, which we'll get to. Mm-hmm. But this one was nominated for three Academy Awards, Best Picture, Adapted Screenplay, and director Lumet, his rectoral debut, and he gets nominated for it. Very impressive. But the movie cost $340,000. The box office was a million. Sounds like a lot for 1957, but it actually lost money and yeah. was seen as a disappointment. And it wasn't until they started showing it on TV that it found its audience. So, And, and a great thing about Lumet is that in his early days as a director, he proved himself adept at adapting stage plays for the big screen and, mm. and taking advantage of the medium of film but not opening it up too much and still keeping it real and still making it feel like a play. Yeah, that's what he did here. I mean, it's all pretty much in the jury room, 93 out of 96 minutes Yeah, wow. Uh, in the one room uh, with the different jury members as they go through trying to come up with the verdict and trying to all get on the same page. It's got some really great monologues, some fantastic dialogue in there and it does feel like you're watching a play but it doesn't feel stilted it doesn't feel small no it doesn't it feels quite big and quite epic and here's me trying to make it appeal to a modern audience ready let's hear it if you like making a murderer oh you will love 12 angry men if you if you're interested in the concept of reasonable doubt 
and how juries work, then watch 12 Angry Men. And it's just a great movie. It's it's a movie that quite often people will tweet me saying that, you know, I'm not that into classic movies, but one of my favorite movies of all time is 12 Angry Men. And a lot of people on our profiles page, which is Profiles with Malone and Mance, totally forgot to mention, make sure you like <laughs> our Facebook page, yes, Profiles with Malone and Mance, a lot. Most of the comments when I asked for what's your favorite Lumet film, most of them were for 12 Angry Men. Well, incredible performances. Absolutely. Henry, Henry Fonda, Fonda Lee J. So Cobb. Great. Uh, and, you know, this film, like you said, 93 out of 95 minutes takes place in a room. And you, you feel the encroaching claustrophobia. It's a, the, one of the hottest days in New York. Yeah, yeah. Stuffy. And a lot of the actors, they rehearsed for, for a long, long time so they could really capture the feel of claustrophobia so it would really feel genuine when it came time to film the movie and Lumet in describing the way he shot the film he said I shot the first third of the film above eye level the second third at eye level and the third below eye level to increase the claustrophobic feel of the movie that's so interesting very interesting and you know Henry Fonda was someone that was very critical on of his own work, but he said that 12 Angry Men was one of his three favorite performances of all time of his. And apparently during the first screening, Fonda leaned over to Lumet and whispered, Sydney, it's magnificent. And Roger Ebert, our, our good reviewing pretend friend, yes. <laughs> um, he said about this movie, if Lumet is not among the most famous of directors, that is only because he ranges so wildly that he cannot be categorized. Few filmmakers have been so consistently respectful of the audience's intelligence. And, and you feel that here. Absolutely. And Rachel Cushing, who's oh, one of our favorite profilers. She's got a huge future. She's got a great future. She's an awesome reviewer. And she had a lot to say about 12 Angry Men. I'm not sure anything I ever learned in history class captured the full impact of the term reasonable doubt as applied to a courtroom case in the way that Sidney Lumet's brilliant film, 12 Angry Men, did. The movie is so subtle yet so powerful, largely thanks to the towering performances of Henry Fonda and Lee J. Cobb, but also because of the deceptively simple framework employed by the director. Rather than influence the audience by presenting the case or a defendant at the outset, he lets the details slowly come out through the screenplay's brilliant dialogue and slowly evolving camera work. Every juror starts out as a stereotype based on class occupation, appearance, etc. But as Fonda's juror number 12 slowly gets them to challenge their preconceived perceptions, everyone suddenly becomes much more layered and interesting. For such a simple story, not to mention Lumet's directorial debut, it packs a wallop in its surprisingly emotional stance on judgment and prejudice. Yeah, and prejudice is a big theme in yes, Lumet's work. Definitely is. That's one of the details about Lumet's life. Yes. But we have some other details in well, our last detail. Well, what's your what's your first? So you, Killing so you it with the segways today. <laughs> well, one thing that I didn't know about Sidney Lumet was that he studied acting with Sanford Meisner, who started the whole Meisner technique, which I don't even know what that is, but I know it's a thing. And so I never knew that he had an acting background himself. Well, he he uh, was part of the actor's studio. That's when, right. Which we, you know, like way, way back before he started directing. Uh, did you know that he wanted to direct? He wanted to direct 1974's Death Wish, oh. with in the lead Jack Lemmon. Oh, can you imagine Jack Lemmon in that a role made famous by Charles Bronson? 
No, I can't. I could not imagine that film. But it would have been interesting. It would have been good. It would have been it good to been watch. Great. Well, did you know that he directed 17 different actors who went on to be Oscar nominated? In, uh, but Beatrice Strait and Peter Finch won under his direction. And Incredible. so did Faye Dunaway. And Faye Dunaway, yes. Yes, very, very interesting. And he was an assistant. Before he even got into the big screen stuff, he cut his chops on over 250 live television programs. Well, live. So live. So no wonder by the time he got the 12 Angry Men, he was already a, a pro. And just one more little detail that yeah. I found fascinating was that he used to be the father-in-law of Bobby Carnavale. The actor. So Bobby Carnavale was married to Jenny Lumet. Not anymore, but they, they were married. And then the interesting thing is Al Pacino worked a lot with Sidney Lumet. Al Pacino and Bobby Carnavale worked have together. worked before both on stage and then in a couple of movies, oh, including they just did, Danny uh, Collins. Danny Collins, yeah. So interesting. It's like all tied mm. together. Six so degrees. six degrees of Kevin Bacon. Oh, Sidney Lumet. <laughs> 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 all right, let's keep going with our fast five. At number three is... He wants to kill me so bad he can taste it. I got always got to kill him. Attica! 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 You're taking me back. I had to use that quote. You're taking me back to when I was a little kid. That's what I remember from that movie. Dog Day Afternoon. Dog Day Afternoon, released September 21st, 1975. Cost $2 million. Box office was 50 mil. Big hit for 1975. Six Oscar nominations, including picture, director, and actor. One win for original screenplay. Uh, This is dramatic filmmaking at its finest, but there's also something kind of funny about it. Kind of funny. Kind of funny. Uh, like, you know, because from the outset, it goes wrong. It's doomed oh, from yeah. the start. Yeah, bank robbers. It's kind of like a heist movie gone wrong, a crime drama, um, all set within 12 hours, which yep. is amazing. I, I love that framework for a movie because I love the, the sense of the ticking clock. And we spoke about this one during our Al Pacino profiles because it's another great Pacino Lumet collaboration. And yes, Pacino. As Sonny, it is such an interesting character. Eccentric. Um, he's there for a very particular reason, to raise money. And he's conflicted. He's conflicted. He's yeah. conflicted. And that. it's not It's not so easy. It's not like you go, oh, all criminals are bad. All bank robbers are bad. This shows a different way and a different perspective. And, of course, we've also talked about how the, the robbers were influenced by, by the, the real Godfather, life. yeah, because that's where they got some ideas, and you know Al Pacino was in the Godfather, so it's a life yeah, comes full exactly. circle. It's based on the life article, "The Boys in the Bank." Uh-huh. Uh, the the actual heist happened in August of 1972 at the Chase Manhattan Bank in Brooklyn, and they stole about two hundred thirteen thousand dollars. Again, another movie with no musical score, and Cindy Lumet inspired his actors to improvise as much as possible. He did that on a lot of his movies. And another movie like 12 angry men where you feel the heat you feel claustrophobia you feel the stuffiness you know their hair is messy there's sweat on their faces (laughs) and it just feels so realistic again very gritty the attica is in reference to the attica prison riots so it very much spoke about issues of the time 
Um, and Lumet, as you said, like really lets Pacino shine. Like it is his film and he is incredible in it. And so is John Cazale. So John Cazale, made who Pacino suggested for this role. Yeah, and he fought for him. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he really was like, you got to use this guy. You know, five movies made by John Cazale, all of them nominated for Best Picture. Amazing. Uh, you know, this is great, not to digress, but there's this great short documentary called I Knew It Was You, yeah. which is about the life of, of John Cazale. Uh, the New York Times. Times loved Adult Day Afternoon. Who wouldn't? <laughs> Sidney Lumet's most accurate, most flamboyant New York movie. And Roger Ebert said, Lumet is exploring the cliches of old gangster movies, not just using them. And he has a good feel for the, uh, the, the big city crowd that is drawn into the conflict. Yeah, it's got that real-time aspect that gives it a thrilling layer. Plus, it speaks about the feeding frenzy of the media. Of the media, yep. Josh Price, our profiler, says about Dog Day Afternoon that it combines the elements of every great film directed by Sidney Sidney Lumet and wraps them up into a thrilling and unique crime story. It is a view of the media within our cultural... God, I can't speak today. (laughs) It is... Sorry, Josh. It is a view of the media within our culture as shown in Network, a fascinating character study from Serpico and a claustrophobic thriller like 12 Angry Men. Dog Day Afternoon rarely attempts to explain its participants. It simply presents them and allows us to draw our own interpretations of the story. Lumet explores classic... Classic crime tropes <laughs> to question why society would hold Sonny up as a hero and where the allegiances of the public lie. The sometimes quirky and often dark comedy shines through amid the intensely realistic filming style to create a film of complexity, humanity, and endless fascination. Well I got there. <laughs> done, Alicia Malone. Oh. Yeah, don't, you have to excuse us. We're gearing up uh, for, for Sundance. Sundance and oh we haven't even got tired. there yet. We're already exhausted thinking about it. By the time you see it. this episode, this will be happening while we're at Sundance, so we'll probably be even less tired, yes. making less sense. So this will be Tuesday, so we will definitely be in the throes of festival fatigue, but still having a very good time. We'll talk all yeah, about that elsewhere. Well, good let's time. right now talk about a category that is jam-packed with films that did not make our Fast Five, but easily could have the others. Mm-hmm. What's on your list of other great Sidney Lumet classics? I like the Anderson tapes. Great Great pick. Why? Great pick. 1971, Sean Connery, who actually worked five times with Lumet. I like that it's part gritty Lumet and then part kind of quirky crime caper. And I think it shows the best of what Sean Connery had to offer. The other film that showed the best of what Sean Connery had to offer, especially given the year it came out in 1965 when he was in the throes of fame as playing James Bond, is The Hill. This Mm. is a North African prison drama set during World War II. And for a 1965 movie, it's very gritty. It's uncompromising. And really, it's one of the reasons why it got such a great performance out of Sean Connery. He was trying to prove that he can be more than just James Bond, even though he had done like Alfred Hitchcock's movies too. But uh, The Hill, 19. 65 is an underrated, underseen film. Check it out. I also really enjoyed when I was younger, Murder on the Orient Express from 1974 based on Agatha Christie novel. I mean, listen to this cast. Albert Finney, Lauren Bacall, Sean Connery, Vanessa Redgrave, Ingrid Bergman. That's a hell of a cast. Amazing, and it's it's a great mystery drama. I love it. And, you know, uh, it's interesting because I don't think of Sidney Lumet directing that movie. No. Because it's different for him. It's very different. As was a love-it-or-hate-it movie from 1978, 
The Wiz. Oh, yeah, The Wiz. Now, again, this is a film that when it came out, the critics hated it, mm-hmm. but it's gained a lot uh, a lot of respect as a cult classic. Diana Ross and Michael Jackson, based on the Broadway show from 1974. Yeah, didn't they just redo it for on TV? Live. Oh, yeah, yeah, the, the live, live musical thing. Yeah. So obviously there was something to it, you know, even though it was based on a Broadway show, but um, this is a movie that deserves another look. It cost $24 million in 1978, and it only made 14, so it was a bomb, but again, it's another movie that deserves another view. What and a, one that I know you reviewed is The Before the Devil Knows You're Dead yes. from 2007. I mean, this was released when he was 83, 83 years old and shot digitally because Lumet thought that the film would soon be obsolete. Um, and it's got the, the great cast, including uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman, Ethan Hawke, Michael Shannon. Marissa Tomei, I mean, great. And, well, this is a film that, if you think about it, has a lot in common with Dog Day Afternoon. A heist gone wrong. Heist gone wrong from the beginning and yeah. the way it just snowballs and snowballs. And yes, I actually did review it back in 2007. And I said that uh, at the time, and I still agree, it is a superbly crafted morality play that stands alongside Serpico, Dog Day Afternoon, and The Verdict of one of the finest films of his career. And uh, Lumet tightens the screws with each passing scene, and it reaches the level of a Shakespearean tragedy. Oh, nice. Uh, before, I was going to mention before the novel those you did, but you beat me to it. <laughs> uh, but another one I just wanted to just give a shout out to was Long Day's Journey Into Night. Oh, yeah. From 1962. Again, just like uh, 12 Angry Men, a great adaptation of a, of a play, one that... That doesn't open it up too much. It keeps it true to the stage roots, but still makes use of the film as a medium. Catherine Hepburn as Mary Tyrone, the Tyrone family, they're addicted to uh, morphine. She's addicted to morphine. Everyone else is an alcoholic. Uh, Great melodrama. Takes place in a day, hence the title. And uh, just powerhouse performances all the way through. Wow. Well, another film that feels similar to 12 Angry Men is our Fast Five number two, which is... That poor girl put her trust into the, the hands of two men who took her life. Wow. The, the verdict. verdict. Amazing film. Released December 8th, 1982. Yes, like you said, it is a movie that uh, does recall 12 Angry Men. And how perfect that it came out on the 25th anniversary wow. of 12 Angry Men. I mean, this is a one of the best courtroom dramas of all time. It is as good as it gets if you're looking for a great courtroom drama. Five Oscar nominations, including picture, director again for Lumet, adapted screenplay David Mamet, actor Paul Newman, supporting actor James Mason. Now, this movie came out in 1982, nominated for Best Picture. What did it lose to? Oh, it lost to um, Rocky? Gandhi. No, no, no. yes, because Rocky, Rocky was it was what network luster. Yes, yes. <laughs> but hey, yeah, on, I'm not good with years you're, like you're, you are. <laughs> you're on the right page, but uh, but Gandhi. Yes, and, and by the way, Paul Newman, who I felt like I feel like even next to like the Hustler and Cool Hand Luke and even the Color of Money, I feel like this is his defining performance. We do have to do Paul Newman at some we point. We have to. We have to profile him. We have to profile Paul. He's Newman. so great, I mean, and crap. he's so great in this movie as well. I mean, again. Lumet allows him to shine, gives mm-hmm. him a really gritty, meaty character. He goes from being this alcoholic ambulance chaser. Down on his luck. Down on his luck. People don't respect him professionally. To discovering this case and rediscovering his passion for his job and trying to do everything that he can. It's amazing that this is Lumet's third film of the 80s. He made 10 films in this decade. Two were released in 1986. 
Incredible. And before Lumet came on board, the script was rewritten multiple times with many different actors attached, uh, including like William Holden, Frank Sinatra, Cary Grant, Dustin Hoffman, and Robert Redford. Robert Redford. And then Redford, well, you know, he was fired from it because he began to have conversations behind the producers' backs with Sidney Pollack about directing it. Once they found out, they gave him the boot. Then Lumet came on board, brought it with him Paul Newman, and he went back to the very original script. So it's interesting that the original script ended up getting an Oscar nomination, and it is a fantastic script. It is an amazing script, but did you know that in the original version of the script that they were going to shoot with, they did not reveal what the verdict was. Uh-huh. So you go through all of that. Like, Tell the me. Movie, the, the movie's <laughs> just about to end, and and Paul Newman as that Frank Galvin walks out of the courtroom and and you don't know what the verdict You're was. You're trying to guess it on his face. So you could. It yeah. could have been very, very, very subtle. Yeah. You know, very ambiguous. Which is, there's nothing wrong with that. Mm-hmm. But Lumet really wanted the verdict to be there. So he asked the screenwriter, David Mamet, please put it in. So he did. And Lumet said this about Paul Newman. Uh, and this was obviously at the time. Paul Newman is one of the shyest men I ever met. He's also one of the best actors we've got. But there was that great stone face and those gorgeous blue eyes. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people assumed that he couldn't act that great. But he was a leading man, but he was only using a quarter of his talents. Now he's able to cut loose and do something really, really sensational. I love that. I mean, this is such a thought-provoking film. Yep. Again, Lamette treats his audience as very intelligent, doesn't spoon-feed you everything. A Time Out magazine said it's the first courtroom drama in years to recapture the brilliance of the form. And then Ebert said the performances, the dialogue, and the plot all work together like a rare machine. It is a rare machine. You know who else is a rare machine? Who? Dance Skip Allen. Dance Skip Allen. Dance Skip Allen. What a great profile. Super awesome guy. <laughs> he said this about the <laughs> about the verdict. Sidney Lumet and Paul Newman make the verdict one of the best courtroom dramas of all time. Newman's character is a down-on-his-luck lawyer, lawyer, and that makes you want to root for him even more. Everything seems to be going against him from the one-sided judge to the plant of a girlfriend played by 2016 Oscar nominee Charlotte Rampling mm. uh, to the opposing lawyer stooping to every low so he can win the case. The verdict is a movie everyone can get behind. And, you know, it, it's... You watch a movie like The Verdict. Of course, every one of these movies that we've been talking about. But The Verdict doesn't feel like it's from 1982. That could easily have come out today and been just as potent. It is just like, God, this is what... This is what we love about the movies. I know, and I think it had that same reaction from film lovers in the 80s because there was starting to be the rise of the the action movie yeah. and the the special effects and the big stunts and superheroes. And then I remember reading some stuff from people saying, yes, this is what movies are about. And I feel like it would be the same today if it was released. It would probably be an indie, but yeah. <laughs> it probably would be an indie. Or be like The Judge, but The Judge wasn't so well, good. Well, when you make before the, devil, before the Devil Knows You're Dead, he was doing independent film and you know that actually reminds me the year before that film he did a movie called find me guilty oh yeah with vin diesel that's right and that I is forgot another that was him that that was him and i remember and that was like the best i've ever seen vin diesel exactly <laughs> my point i mean the only bad thing about that film the only bad thing about find me guilty is that he had to wear like a hairpiece yeah that ju- it just looked like he was wearing a hairpiece yeah it did and like that's the best you could do for 2006 but that is a film that should have been on our others as a movie that people should see vin diesel 
acting, not just chasing cars. Yeah, old like the pacifier. Wasn't yeah, the pacifier? come yeah. on. This is a very, very good film. And I remember at the time uh, when I interviewed him, I said, listen, I, 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 you know, I was not blowing sunshine up here. You know what? This is the best <laughs> thing you've ever, ever done. And he was like, so great. He worked with Sidney Lumet. I know. That's amazing. Ex- I completely forgot about that film. Excellent film. But and I another like courtroom it. Drama. Another courtroom drama. And now it is time for our, our number, number one, one in our which is... I want you to get up right now and go to the window, open it, and stick your head out and yell, I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! Yes. That scene, watching this movie again. Oh my God, I love it. Didn't you just go, oh my God, this is so awesome. I watched it uh, as part of the movie, and then last night I was like, I might just watch it again on YouTube. Because I love it. Oh, it's so great. This movie came out on November 27th, 1976. Cost $3.8 Box office $23.7 Seems a little low, but it is definitely a film that was worthy of its 10 Oscar nominations, including Best Picture, Best Director, Cinematography, and Editing. It won four for Peter Finch. Uh, obviously, he was uh, uh, won the award after he passed away. Mm-hmm. First time that happened in Oscar history, and it happened again uh, when uh, Chris, uh, Heath Ledger won for oh, yes, The Dark Knight. Uh, but also Best Actress, Faye Dunaway, Supporting Actress, and Original Screenplay. The amazing thing is this movie feels like a satire, but oh, it is not. It's like a horror. It's a horror movie, but it was never intended to be a satire, yet that's what it looks like. It looked like in 76, and it looks like in 2016. Oh, for sure. It's life imitating art. Absolutely. And, I mean, it's interesting that part of the inspiration for the script came from the on-air suicide yep. of Christine Chubbuck, who I only feel like I've just started hearing about. And at Sundance, speaking of the festival, there are two films playing about her and about this incident. Which two separate films, which two is amazing. Separate movies at Sundance. And it is a fascinating in a really morbid way about someone who chooses to commit suicide on, on air. air. She yeah. shot herself on air during a news broadcast. I mean, that is just so hard to believe. Can you but, imagine? But at the same time, I mean you think about a movie like Nightcrawler, which shows, you know, if it bleeds it leads and it's all about in this movie network is all about how uh, you you'll do anything for TV ratings and news as infotainment rather than information. Makes you want to take a shower. <laughs> Ugh, it's so gross and it's just very true. Like the the kind of ranting prophets, self proclaimed prophets who have this soapbox and who have this this outlet for their extreme views. And, and at the end of the film, what it brings out in people. Uh, well, look what it brings out in the executives when they're discussing at the end of the movie. No spoiler here. Yeah. But when they're sitting around in their courtroom, how do we increase the ratings for this show? What can we do? Oh, maybe we should do this. And I'm not going to say what that this is, yeah. but the fact and that they no, were no conscience. No conscience. Which I, I remember from working in news in Australia, it, it got to be that way, where people would talk about these horrific events in terms of race not in terms of the actual people involved. Sad. It becomes so warped. Um, Ebert, at first, when he reviewed the film, the first time he said that it was uh, trying for too much, it was you know, attacking not only television but also the other ills of the 70s, but 25 years later he reviewed it again and he said uh, the film was like prophecy when Chayefsky, who wrote the script, created, created Howard Beale... Could he have imagined Jerry Springer? Could he have imagined Howard Stern and the World Wrestling Federation? Wow. I mean, it's incredible. Amazing. And the New York Times at the time in 1976 said it's an outrageous, brilliant, 
cruelly funny topical American comedy. I don't see it as a comedy, but I guess uh, some people it is. Yeah. And, uh, you know, talk about the people in this movie who have no conscience. One of them is uh, the character Diana Christensen, played by Oscar winner Faye Dunaway. You know, all she is is her work. All she has is her job. And she has nothing so else to give. Yeah. She's so focused on that. And Lumet said to Faye Dunaway when she was questioning, like, the ethics of her character, I know what you're going to ask. Where is her vulnerability? She has none, so don't ask. If you try to sneak it in, I will cut it out in the editing room. God, and and yeah, I, I love Rocky as well. Very different movie, but that Rocky won Best Picture That's that year, right. which yes. is interesting. But it goes to show you Oscars don't actually mean that much in the end. <laughs> um, we got a great comment from Mark Tordai, and I will try to read it properly. He says about Network, the 1970s brought us the golden age of subversive political movies. Among the many great examples is Network. While many know this movie for the infamous I'm as mad as hell and I'm not going to take it anymore speech delivered by the great Aussie actor Peter Finch. Network was also produced during a time of post-Watergate frustration with the American government. Peter Finch's speech summed up these frustrations as well as the average American's mistrust for government which grew to an all-time high. Finch's speech resonated with moviegoers as and its influence still does today. Almost got that. You know what I forgot? What'd you forget? The brackets. The brackets. Oh yes, we need to do the brackets where the profilers who go to our Facebook page Profiles with Malona Mance that is a huge hint. So please go to our Facebook page <laughs> and like it. So what are the brackets this time? So this time they talked about the best Sydney Lumet films. And the final four came down to Network versus Dog Day Afternoon and 12 Angry Men versus Serpico. Okay. Then the winners of those two, it went on to be 12 Angry Men versus Network. Two great movies. Who do you think was the winner? Well, based on the comments that we got, and there were more comps for 12 Angry Men. I'm going to say 12 Angry Men. You're correct. No 12 way. 12 Angry Men was Over the network. favorite film of our profilers. And big thanks to Justin Bass, a.k.a. Steve Zissou, Steve Zissou. for running the brackets this week. A big thanks to St- Justin and Steve, uh, however you want to be called, my friend. <laughs> and to everyone who's been supporting profiles for the last 18 months. Oh, we yeah. could not have done it without you. Been in, it's been that long. 47 wow. episodes that we squeeze in between our very, very busy schedules and yeah. do a lot of work. Work and get great guests because we love doing it so much and we're very very grateful for all of your support yes, so you. please stick with us and share profiles with all your friends in fact if you could please do that we really appreciate it mm-hmm. go to our facebook page like it uh, subscribe to profiles on itunes uh, subscribe on youtube.com backslash popcorn talk network and of course make sure you follow us on twitter <laughs> At Alicia Malone, at Movie Mance, <laughs> at Alicia Malone, at Movie Mance. The book is closed. At Alicia Malone, <laughs> at Movie Mance. Well, let's run through our fast five quickly before we say goodbye. At number five was Serpico. Number four, Twelve Angry Men. Number three, Dog Day Afternoon. Number two, The Verdict. And number one, Network. Woo-hoo! Woo-hoo! We're mad as hell. We're not going to take it anymore, but we'll be back <laughs> in two weeks with an all new episode of Profiles. Until then, bye. bye. <laughs> Producers Maria Menunos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, Christian Harloff, and the entire Popcorn Talk Network. We would like to thank you for tuning in. For questions or comments, be sure to visit popcorntalk.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of the Popcorn Talk Network. The views expressed herein are those of the host only and do not necessarily reflect the views of the owners or principals.